to the back page as you see there the Redeemer scriptures for this month. Let us say this in unison, please. It's Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Please say that reference with me. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue a two-part sermon, picking up the reading in verse 28 as we consider the theme of loving and submission, submitting. Motivations now for loving and submitting. Ephesians 5 and verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Lord, open this text that we may live in God-glorifying ways in our marriage and that we may see in your church a beautiful reality of you, O Christ, care for us. We thank you for that care. In Jesus' name, amen. Picking up the threads of this sermon from two weeks ago, I would like you to know that the sermon from October 1st on Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 27, and our fall conference sermons are available on our website, clicking on the sermons tab. We are reminded that the submission of wives to their husbands is to be like the submission of Christ's church to her Savior, Jesus. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, just as the church is subject to Christ, verse 22. And that the love of husbands is to be like the love of Christ for his church, the sacrificial love of Christ demonstrated by Jesus when he gave himself for his church at the cross. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved. He has the responsibility to protect, to provide, 
to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. Now today, we hear God's word as we consider the motivations that move us in the direction of submission by wives and sacrificial love by husbands. These are not easy things to do in our day. Men, could it be that our flesh says, I will not sacrifice for her sake. Look at the way she treats me. Women, could it be that in your flesh, you are tempted to say, I got my own life to live. Why do I have to submit to my husband? Consider these verses, verse 28 and 29, the motivation of caring. Verses 30 to 32, the motivation of witness. And verse 33, the motivation of mutuality. First, verses 28 to 29. Men, we are motivated to love our wives like Christ because when we care as a Christian husband, we become more Christ-like. To be conformed to the image of Christ is our goal in general as a believer. It says in verse 29, 29 of Romans 8, conformed to the image of God's Son. We need to love our bride if we are to be conformed to Jesus who loves his bride. Our eternal destiny as a Christ-like being is at stake if we don't care as Jesus did. If we do not nourish our wives as Jesus nourishes the church, and cherishes the church, we will fall short of the sanctification needing to bring us to an ultimate and Christ-like character under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Your life as a believing man, as a husband, is preparing for you an eternity of rewards in heaven as the Christ-like character you develop here enjoys God forever there. And marriage is the key place in your life where your character is shaped as a husband because you spend so much time up close and personal. And that person knows you like a book. She can read you like a book. And so we have an opportunity here to directly mirror the love of Jesus for the church. To mirror that love in your eating together, your driving together, your cleaning together, your walking together, your worshiping together, your working together in the yard, your shopping together, your loving together, your hunting for lost keys together, your working on the computer together, your cooking together, your listening to music together, your groaning together about relatives. And don't you have some strange ones on both sides of your family? and you're having people over for games together. You're reading the Bible together. You're praying together. You're reading magazines together. You're disagreeing together. You're paying bills together. Do you get the point? It's right here that your character is going to be shaped as a husband. And even if you don't do all those things together, maybe you're big on delegation in your family. At least you have the chance 
to thank your wife for the things that she does all by herself for you. When we do these things and have the thought of nourishing and cherishing our wife, verse 29, we are becoming Christ-like by the power of the Holy Spirit. We establish what I would call a cherishing memory. You know, athletes have a muscle memory. They learn how to pitch or they learn how to hit a ball through many, many times of repetition growing up into their adult years through childhood and teenage years. And so you get a professional athlete who has so much muscle memory that he could be totally exhausted at the end of the season in the last games of a World Series game, in the last innings, and he still has the muscle memory. And when you pair that with the desire to come through for his team, he hits the single that drives in the winning run because he has the muscle memory. We need husbands to get a cherishing memory so that when we're tired, when we don't feel like it, it doesn't matter. We still cherish. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. If you turn to page 1014. And we see there in verse number 12, verse number 12, 1 Corinthians 3. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Make your marriage to be your chief work in life. It is more important than your parenting. Can I tell you that again? If you don't have a right relationship with your spouse, you cannot be the right kind of parent. So I'm saying number one work is love your wife, husbands. Number one work, wives, is respect your husbands and then you get on to the parenting. Then you get on to the nurturing. They've got to know that parenting comes second to this relationship, the husband and wife relationship. And when we put that first, before caring for the kids, our kids enter into the most secure, nurturing, loving environment in which they will thrive because they know mommy loves daddy and daddy loves mommy and they are gonna work it out whatever the argument happened to be that day. I wanna suggest to you that your work in marriage is something that will never determine whether you get into heaven and get into heaven but it will determine about how much of you gets into heaven. What I mean by that is we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone and his finished work. 
And when we are sanctified, this process of what we build into our lives that's described here in 1 Corinthians 3 is describing an inherent reward that is your godly character, your Christ-likeness, which is what you take to heaven with you. It is not a matter of whether you get into heaven, what you work, but it does determine what gets into heaven. Don't suffer loss at the last day when the burning away of hay and stubble will leave you a shell of a man, which is what it says here in verse 15. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Did you ever see the coyote in the uh, movies, how he gets blown up by his own stuff, and he's shriveled, and he's covered with smoke? And Is that the way you want to enter into heaven? I don't think so. I want to enter into heaven as a Christ-like man who is what God is working in me. The best version of yourself. I know it sounds like Joel somebody, but I'm saying for heaven that your best version of yourself will be the sanctified, God-glorifying man of God that will be blessed in heaven because there's a lot of you there. I find the truth about marriage that we see here in this passage is something which invigorates me and challenges me to be someone who is God-centered. And when you look at these verses here, you've got to be very careful that you do not twist them to reinforce your selfishness. You could read verse 28 to say, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. And you can turn that into some kind of self-seeking, well, whatever I do, as long as I'm loving myself, I guess my wife will be blessed because she's part of me. And I'm suggesting to you that that can be a reinterpretation of marriage and its obligations just to tickle your fancy. The specifics of the text have to govern our understanding of the text. And the Christ specifics are, verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Jesus goes out of his way to nourish us and cherish us. He did that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to go to the cross in his flesh, but he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Matthew 26, verse 39. We need to have that same sense of sacrifice, men, we need to recognize that the uh, nourishing and cherishing of our wife is going to require self-denial. It's just like Elder Ken reminded me on Monday. He was talking about what do we want to do? And that being the thing we actually do. Nobody likes getting up. I don't like getting up on a cold day and going out to work. I don't like doing that, but 
I do it because I recognize I have work to do. And some of you have to get up at six o'clock early in the morning and you will go early in the morning to your job even though you'd like to sleep some more because you have the long-term goal of responsibility to an employer and the desire to develop a good reputation at work and to care for the needs of other people there and maybe even get a promotion someday. Well, we have got to have that same attitude that we do the things in our marriage which may not be what we are feeling. We need to develop that cherishing attitude that we, in the midst of a self-serving society, do not accept interpretations of verses like 28 and 29 simply to re reinforce our own selfishness. No, Christ comes first just as the Lord does the church. And what does Christ do? He nourishes and cherishes it. And so I want you to consider that these are some very masculine word and a very tendering, tender, nurturing word. This nourishing, go out there and be a hunter provider. You go out there and provide for your family. You nourish your family. You bring food, the home, food to the home. You do what's necessary to nourish your wife. Go get the game, but be in the game of caring for your wife in more than physical things. See, Christ went to the cross, but now he is concerned from the right hand of the Father in his session seated there. He is concerned about every aspect of our existence. He's concerned about our emotions. He's concerned about our fears. He's concerned about our sin. He's concerned about our responses and relationships. His communion, which he will open before us this evening at 6 p.m., is a nourishment of his body and blood to our heart's deepest needs in every area of our life. So you husbands are meant to sacrifice for your wife to nourish just as Christ nourishes the church at the table, you are meant to encourage your wife when she's fearful, support her when she is weary, accept her when she is teary, clothe and feed and shelter her practically. And this next one is unlike Christ, for he had no sin, but you are meant to admit your faults to her Humbly, when she's weary, teary, you need to humbly admit your faults. As we see this in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered, if you don't want your prayers to be hindered, dwell with understanding. Give honor to the wife, the weaker vessel. You're a team. You are co-heirs in Christ. And when you sin, emotionally hurting your wife, confess, seek reconciliation. My mentor in New Jersey, Fred Herwalt, told me of this verse. It's like your wife is a piece of fine china. And we are meant to protect that china as the highest expression of beauty 
at the table spread in our life. Not only are you meant to nourish in a masculine way, you are meant to be able to cherish your wife. That's a word that appears only one other time in the New Testament. It's in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. Cherish, 1 Thessalonians 2.7. But we were gentle among you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church. We were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. The word is thalpo. It's related to the word thalo, which means to warm or to nestle. Think of a nursing mother taking care of her baby. Can we get past some of the stereotypes of male behavior? You need to provide, yes, but you and me need to adopt gentleness. I rarely see a man too gentle. But I often see, in myself anyway, a man too brusque and abrupt. And the reason I'm drilling down on this last phrase of verse 29 is because it challenges me, but it is also because the purpose of the text is to lead to this as a climax. It brings us to the insight of Christ's own care for his own flesh, the church. His own care. And we have to understand that the idea here of husbands being ought to love their own wives is, a, is, is not a matter of baptizing our self-love, redeemed by virtue of being married to a woman. Rather, the point of connection logically is how Jesus specifically loves himself by nourishing and cherishing his body, the church, and how can we Follow his example in that. The word love here is agapao. It goes back to husbands, love your wives. It's the self-sacrificing love of God, which is found in 1 Corinthians 13. This is your call, husbands. And if you wonder why I'm going to be talking about husbands so much here in this sermon today, is as I learned this week in, in the Simeon Trust, that our sermons ought to reflect the text. There's eight verses that have to do with husbands, and there's about three verses that have to do with wives. Now, just leave it right there. I don't know what to say. I just want to say, maybe he thinks we're a little more knuckleheads and got to get through to us. I don't know. But I'm saying that God spells out explicitly in verses 30 to 32 the motivation of witness. The motivation of witness is that we as married couples are a picture of the church. That people who don't go into this church building can nevertheless see in our marriage, in our neighborhood, or as we interact on vacation, or as we interact in our, our yard raking, or as we interact with one another in a, a social situation, they can see a picture of Christ's love for the church. And that's a witness. Because it says in verse 30, we as the church are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. There's a one flesh relationship between Jesus and the church, just as there is described in verse 31, a quotation from Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
And then Paul drills down on it some more, saying in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And he drills down there because it is intuitively more difficult to make the case that Jesus is married to the church and is one with the church, it's more difficult to make that case than it is to think about oneness in the marriage bond, which is something that's intuitive and understood by any married couple. In fact, the law says you're not really married until you become one flesh. And so the mystery is that how does this apply to Jesus and the church? Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. His body is there. And so how can he be one with us? So here's the beginning of an answer, and it is this, that we are one with Christ by the mediation of the Holy Spirit through faith. If you turn with me now, just a couple pages earlier, in Ephesians 3 and verse 16, it says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through Faith. There we see faith and the Holy Spirit. It's as the Spirit dwells in us invisibly that the presence of Christ dwelling in us becomes real. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 that he was not going to leave his disciples. He would not leave them as orphans. And he says, I will come to you. And Matthew Henry in his magisterial commentary on that verse says, I'm going to come to you after I'm raised from the dead. I'm going to come to you throughout history as your Holy, my Holy Spirit is given to the church. And I will come to you at the last day. And that second one is my focus because as the Holy Spirit comes to us, he brings Jesus to us so that we are not Orphans. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 26, says, All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head by his spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him in his grace, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces. We have union with Christ, and we are connected to other believers. So here in chapter 5, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This is pictured by the fleshly unity and the emotional one fleshness of a husband and wife. We are meant to witness to the world of what Jesus is doing for his church. We are walking witnesses. And we are meant to serve as an attractive force. When we are saved, we aren't just given the forgiveness card. We're given the family card. We are adopted by our Heavenly Father as sons and daughters. And we are married to Jesus Christ as a church. 
What a wonderful picture of that here yesterday when I saw members working with little children, replacing light bulbs, trimming bushes, washing windows, fixing decks, and raking the leaves. So here's a witness. Be a picture of Jesus' love for the church. That's my call to you as a married couple. And that goes both ways. And another way of witness, if you turn with me, please, to 1 Peter. The end of the Bible, page number 1077. It says in verse 1, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be one by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. The fear there is not the craven, shaking fear. It is rather that I respect you fear. And so that life of submission in itself is like a walking sermon every day that draws an unbelieving husband to consider again or to consider for the first time the claims of Christ because, wow, look at the work Jesus is doing in your life. And now the third point, verse 33, is the motivation of mutuality. He has been talking to the men and the women separately. Verses 22 through 24, speaking to the women, and then 25 all the way up through 32, speaking to the men but now he gets them both in the same verse, and it highlights the mutuality. Nevertheless, each, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, that's the husband's part, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's the wife's part. There's mutuality here. There's give and take. This is a mutuality of reinforcement it's a mutuality of mutual reinforcement, not of mutual responsiveness. Now, let me explain that. That means that we are meant to reinforce one another's love. And we are meant to reinforce the submitting. But we're not meant to wait till it happens. We don't start respecting our husband when he starts loving us. We don't start respecting our wife, uh, loving our wife when she starts respecting us. If we are all in a waiting game, we're going to get what Emerson Egerich calls the crazy cycle. We're going to get that point, and I quote here using my wife as an example, where we need to come, I need to command, I am commanded to love Lois because she needs love. In fact, she speaks love. Love is the language she understands, but when I speak to her in unloving ways, she is tempted to react with disrespectful words. And Lois is commanded to respect me because I need respect. In fact, I speak respect. Respect is the language I understand, but when she speaks to me in disrespectful ways, she never does that, okay? I'm just, this is an example. That was a quote from Emerson Egerich. Okay, my tendency is to react with unloving words, and you get into a crazy cycle. 
You get into this cycle that without love, she reacts without respect. And then when she doesn't respect, I react without love. And could that ever happen in your life where you just get in this cycle? I want to ask you today to break the cycle. Madness reigns when a wife says to herself, I'm not going to respect that man until he earns my respect and starts loving me the way he should. I'll teach him. And insanity reigns when the husband says, I'm not going to love that woman until she starts showing me some respect. I'm not going to even talk to her. Come, my dear friends in Christ, start loving your wife first, husbands. Break the cycle. Wives, respect me. Maybe you can't respect everything about him. I know that's true in my case. But can you respect something? Can you respect something and could you say it to him and seek to break crazy cycles? As we know, life presents in marriage all kinds of opportunities for trouble. It says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and the 28th verse it says, but even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. Marriage is going to lead you to trouble. And the Bible says it. When you get married, there's going to be trouble. But let's reduce the crazy cycle. Let's remember that Jesus interrupted human history by being an incarnate presence God didn't just stay up there in heaven and say, oh, man, they're really messing up things down there. Oh, wow, somebody's got to break that cycle. I hope somebody comes up with a good idea. And then he went back to his, you know, mutual adoration in the Trinity. No, he sent Jesus. He sent him as a baby. And he sent him to grow up and to sacrifice for us on the cross. He interrupted the cycle of our sin. And he gave us hope that we have a savior who sacrifices for us and we get to show that to our wife every day and be sanctified, prepared for heaven. And she has the opportunity like the church to give thanks to God, to submit to her husband and to be a loyal and a faithful friend, a help meet that we together would serve God as the church, one little part of it, and bring a witness to the world of how great Jesus is and how much he loves his church. And that's you. Let us pray. The Lord bless this day, this congregation. May we find in this day the courage to break cycles of futility, that we will this day break cycles of disrespect and unloving behavior and that we will this day bring glory to God and a witness to the world and even to our own spouses who may not believe that Jesus is worth it, that Jesus has paid it all and Jesus stands before us as a witness to how life should be lived in the kingdom of God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.